You're listening to Sermon Cast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. Well, this morning we continue on with our sermon series, uh, Who He Says I Am. Um, and one of my deepest desires is that we would wake up in the morning, every single one of us, and know who we are in Christ Jesus. Every single person will wake up, and, um, and by the way, uh, there's a process. Um, it's regardless of how we feel, um, honestly, on any given day or what anyone says about us. It's literally what he says about us. And to wake up and to know that that doesn't just come naturally. Um, your flesh will cry out with many other things over what the truth of God says. And you literally, every day we say this, you have to preach the gospel to yourself. You have to preach the gospel to yourself. If you can't, don't worry about preaching the gospel to anybody else until you're convinced. And if you're not convinced, and I mean holistically convinced, I don't just mean, yeah, Jesus died, saved my sins, amen. There's more to it than that. The fullness of the gospel is not only did he die for your sins, like he'd be atoned for you, but, but, but just as importantly is now you have a new identity in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God. You are sons and daughters. You no longer get to dictate who you are. He and he alone dictates to you who you are in truth. Now you can spit lies at yourself all day long, and which many of us do. But in the end, all that does is you're taken away from what the truth of the gospel says. The more you tear into yourself... And, the more, and I'm not talking about not feeling conviction. Of course, we feel conviction. We repent. The kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. Amen? Amen. But I'm talking about den- uh, just denouncing everything about yourself that's not true. I mean, announcing everything about yourself that's not true and denouncing all the things that God says. That's just, it's just, um, it's broken. And I believe that it's a catalyst of God kind of movement in us to when God comes and settles on us, that we receive who we are in Him. And I don't think that we go out from here to the cities and the nations until we understand who we are in Christ Jesus. What are we propagating? What are we taking with us? So we're, t- we're taking the God of the, the God of all ages who, who kind of loves us and, and just kind of deals with us and puts up with our junk. No, we are sons and daughters. We are propagating. We are, we're not selling anything. We are, we are promoting what God has given us, and that is new identity in Christ Jesus. Amen? And I truly believe that when the house of God knows its identity, powerful things can happen. I believe it. When the house of God knows its identity, powerful things can happen. If not, we're all just battling. We're all just trying to move forward. And at the same time, we're not even convinced ourselves of who we are. That stops us moving forward when we don't believe ourselves about what the God of heaven says. And so remember, our series point over this is our identity is in whose we are and not who we are or have been. We are who he says we are. Question is, you can ask yourself right there, right now, so do I really believe I am who he says I am? Do I really believe it in the fiber of my bones that I believe that I am who he says I am? And do I act accordingly? Um, today's message as we continue on with this series is uh, part three is, is on adoption. Um, I don't know what uh, adoption means to you, but uh, our adoption, show my little sugar bunny there. This is, uh, this is my little baby doll. This is five of five. That's Naomi on her forever day. And that was when we adopted her back in 2012, I believe, correct? 
Correct. All right, good. Jen says correct. We're correct, but I don't know if you see this look of mine uh, on this little baby right here, but uh, she is um, she is uh, more than just a, a daughter. She, she is just like all of our other kids loved and adored. The olders will say that I favor her more than I do, but can I be honest? Who doesn't favor the baby? Is that a true statement or not? I'd like to go to all of your houses and just see how that goes, right? Uh, and so uh, adoption for us is this is the Lord has been teaching me a um, a sweet uh, little nugget of what it is to be adopted so Naomi and Naomi uh, we adopted her from a lady that was a part of our church uh, which was uh, a journey in itself right Michael and uh, it was uh, ups and downs and tumultuous but um, Naomi came from very broken uh, bio mom who had the sense to know that God wanted her to give away uh, her child to us. Jen and I had wrestled uh, profusely is a great way to put it. We wrestled, would you call it wrestle? Or wrestle, or I heard from God, I was just waiting on you to hear from God. Anyway, uh, we wrestled. Uh, (laughs) I'll pay for that one later. All right. but we, we, we wrestled back and forth a little bit if this was something that God really wanted us to do. And both of us had to hear from the Lord. And, and, and when we did, literally, we, the moment we said that we were going to adopt and we were both on the same page, within a week or two, this very broken girl comes down to my pulpit uh, after a sermon and says, hey, I'm having another baby and I think God wants you to have it. And that was our journey of this doorway of how this, so I was proud of her for, I mean, that, that takes boldness to be able to do something like that. And, and so we started on this journey of adoption and little did we know that adoption was an, not an easy thing. Adoption is, a lot of you, a lot of you know more than we do. Uh, adoption wasn't an easy thing. We had so many ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. So on the day when she was born, um, my wife and I were in the room and my wife, um, my wife was one of the first, the first person to hold her, correct? We were both in there. I was doing this, trying not to look. Right? And uh, there's a room full of people. This gal had a bunch of friends in there. This, 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 uh, I, I swear to you, as the day is long, this dude named Tree, who's a Muslim dope dealer in our city, cut the cord of, uh, of our little girl uh, in that room that day. And um, yeah, that was a really highlight of the whole thing, but that was on her. And then we took our little girl and we went to a room. And from that moment, God started to teach me something about adoption and what adoption looks like. And I tell you something about this little girl. There's no difference between her and my other bio kids at all, at all. There's, I mean, there's literally no matter of fact, she could be the one that says, well, you know, God gave you to mom and dad. They chose me. You know what I mean? There's that whole argument, right? <clears throat> which is, which is what adopted kids, they can proclaim that. But something happened with, with my heart in this thing where I have a hard time in my own identity figuring out who I am. I know who I am, but even this week, I have issues where I'll go back and I'll just start tearing into myself and be like, oh, I'm not this and I'm not that and I'm not this. Jen is usually gracious enough to tell me to shut up and remind me of the truth. But as this adoption thing started to happen, I started to see when the scripture says that we are adopted, it is such a deep and holy and beautiful thing. Such a beautiful and holy thing. Like we got to choose this little girl, and there was some issues at first with some bio dad dude in jail who was not the bio dad. He was just trying to mess with mom. 
So we're about to go into our adoption, and then he puts up a fight, and Jen and I, he was in jail. Jen and I had to pay for his paternity test and his lawyer's. We had to pay for that. We've got it in. Uh, it came back 0.0% on the paternity test. But there was a chance, there's an opportunity where there's this thing in my head. Like, I remember we were at a Goodwill and I'm carrying this little biscuit with me in my hand. I wouldn't let her go. And we're walking around Goodwill just looking for stuff because that's what we do. We're thrifty shoppers. And uh, all of a sudden the phone rings and the lawyer says, hey, we're not going to be able to proceed because this guy's doing this thing. I literally almost lost it. I mean, I literally, because I had this... And this little girl who was my world. And I thought I was going to lose her. And uh, obviously, <laughs> that didn't happen. Uh, the Lord came through in miraculous ways. We had her forever day. Um, but when the scriptures are talking about being clear, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is our adoption note. He is the one who did return for us. And he is an adopting God. If I love Naomi the way I do, I can't imagine the way that God loves us, the way loves me that way with the adoptive father's heart. Like adoption has become like this, it's more, it's, it's cool now, everybody's doing it. But it's become this weird taboo thing in our country where we don't tell people and all these things. And if you grew up with that scenario, I'm so sorry. Uh, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a champion thing. It's a godly thing to be chosen. And for us, all of us, think about it. I think I like to argue that adoption is one of the major themes of the scriptures. We're spiritual orphans. We're without a father. We're lost. We're in need of someone to step in and rescue us from our own broken fate. That's who we are. And then no matter who you were, you're a drug addict or a choir boy, you needed someone to step in and grab you and adopt you and say, that one's mine. Jesus stepped in on every single person in here who calls him Lord of their lives. And he said, that one's mine. She's mine. He's mine. They are mine. That one is mine. And they take my name. Adoption is something powerful. We open our scriptures this morning in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. You can open your devices, Bibles there. Just look on the wall with me as it'll be up on the screen. <laughs> For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This thing just kind of preaches itself, honestly. If you read into this, our, our, our big point for today is I want you to know is this. I want you to take this away. Salvation in Jesus is so much more than being saved from hell. Amen? Salvation in Jesus transforms our very existence into literal sons and daughters of the loving and reigning King of heaven. Amen. Amen. So let's unpack this a little bit. Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Uh, I don't know else how to say this. I, I don't need to break it down into the Greek 16 different ways. If I look at this for a minute, uh, that's what I love about the scriptures. So it was just super clear, right? If you're led by the Spirit, then you're what? You're sons and daughters of God. Amen. So the Greek word led means to show the way to guide. Psalms 143 echoes this through the scriptures over and over again. 
Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your spirit lead me on level ground. And how can we tell if we're led by the spirit? How do you know? Can you know? Is it possible for today for me to know that I'm an adopted son of God? The scriptures say, yes. But how do I know that? Because I'm led by the Spirit. Well, how do I know? We look at places just simple, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, everybody knows this verse. It's on coffee cups and aprons and all kinds of things. Um, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. <laughs> provoking one another, envying one another. So listen, if you have Holy Spirit love come out of you, Holy Spirit joy come out of you, Holy Spirit patience, I didn't say, hey, do you nail this list and got it all 100%. Anybody in here got it? Andy's pretty close. Jules, pretty close, right? Uh, I'm not saying you don't, when we preach this, we usually go through and go, okay, how am I doing it? Love, how am I doing it? Joy, but I'm telling you, if you're a believer and follower of Christ Jesus, these things come out of us, especially with time. And as we hold on to Jesus more, we learn how to abide in him more. The Holy Spirit is continuing to work in these things in the lives of our children. The Holy Spirit is our family trait, the hereditary family trait of the people of God. If you have the Spirit, you are a son and a daughter of God. Dave Guzik said this, Paul didn't say, as many as go to church, these are the sons of God. He didn't say as many as read their Bibles, these are the sons of God. He didn't say as many are patriotic Americans, these are the sons of God. He didn't say as many as take communion, these are the sons of God. In this text, the test for sonship is whether or not a person is led by the Spirit of God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're led by the Spirit of God. You're a son or a daughter. And if you're not, you better get there. Sorry. Um, and this is just the beginning. I, I threw in this text in 1 John 3, 1 through 2. It says, and uh, Jonathan already used it this morning, so he, he gets credit for it first of all. Um, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. Can you fathom that for a minute? If you read through the scripture, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Like what we understand about sonship and daughtership now, if I might use this for my own point of what we're talking about today, if I can exegete this a little bit over, maybe I exegete just a tiny bit, is, is this. It's like, think about what you understand. We, you have not even seen yet who you are to be. You realize that? You have, you have no inkling of who you are to be. You have no idea the original reason and purposes God created you as of yet. But there will come a day when we will see him and we will be like him. And we have no idea to fathom what we will be. If you've given your life over to Jesus, you are his son or daughter. The point is the most important truth will change your viewpoint of everything. How does it change everything? Listen, if I know that I'm a son or I'm a daughter, how does it change my marriage? Well, it changes everything about my marriage. Number one, it changes the way that I feel about myself. 
in that way. You know, what does most prideful things come in envy? All those things, they all come from a myopic point of view. And so if I know that I'm a son, if I know I'm a son of the living God, I can, and I know part two, that my daughter, my wife, not my daughter, my daughter, yes, my wife is the daughter of the king. Number one, I better respect her, Right? The way I talk to her, the way I treat her, that should change everything and anything I do. That is the daughter of the king. And the king takes that seriously. And she needs to see me the same way. I am the son of the living God. And I am, I am in his lineage. I have his heritage. I, I get the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. It changes everything about the way we talk to each other. It, let me say this. It should change everything about the way we talk to each other, the way we love each other, the patience we have with one another, the resiliency of our marriages. How does it change about the way I go to work? When you know that you are a son or a daughter of the living God and you step into a place, dark or whatever it is, maybe it's not a holy place, maybe you work at some dumb place that's not very nice. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Uh, maybe you work somewhere where it's not a holy place, but you have to know that. When you're in the house, the Lord's in the house, right? When you step in, you're a carrier of the DNA of God. You step into the place, the kingdom of God is there, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. And so we, we can, it changes the way we deal with people. What about people say bad things about you at work? Instead of going around the coffee bar or whatever you have at work, your smoking section, you need to quit smoking, um, whatever it is, and you're talking bad about other people, you can release all that garbage. It's so secondary and pointless. And people get so worked up. I don't know how many of you get into that cycle where you start a new job. I used to start a lot of jobs. <laughs> I was a little aggressive at what I was trying to do. But you ever know when you start somewhere, you're like, all right, I'm not going to get in and get in on the junk in this place. I'm not going to listen to the caca and get all involved in the politics. I'm just going to work and I'm going to be a good worker and I'm just going to go home and leave it at home. And three weeks later, you're like in the break room going, yeah, that guy's a jerk. This place drives me crazy. I don't know. What. You, can, you can exert all that stuff if you know your identity and walk in who your identity is. Is it identity as a high schooler these days, middle school, high school, whatever it is, college student? It changes everything about you because if you know you're a daughter of the king and you step into high school or your homeschool or whatever it is, you have a place in the room. Amen? It's more than just being Christian. You have a new father and a new family. Wayne Barber, you guys know Wayne? Good. The family tree of Adam had nothing but sinners and the destiny of each of them was eternal separation from God. But we as believers in Christ, have a brand new family tree and it begins at the cross where Christ died. Amen? Verse 15 goes on as we continue. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What does he mean by falling back into fear? Why does he say that? Well, if you look at the law, the law was built around a lot of fear-based stuff. If you sinned, you had to atone. There had to be atonement for your sin. So there was this, con I would imagine, there was a constant fear of being in sin, uh, not being right with the Lord, having to go take your offerings and your sacrifices to the temple uh, or, or to... Um, to the tent and make sure that you were atoned for so sphere-based. He's saying, you don't have to live by that law anymore. Listen, he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery. You spirit, back in the fear, you received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry out of the Father. 
Sons and daughters don't have to worry about atoning for anything. Sons and daughters are atoned for completely. And even when he disciplines us, it's in love, right? It's not in a spirit of fear. When we received the Holy Spirit, it was not one of slavery of fear. Slave is someone's in bondage, condition of a slave-like opportunities, the opposite of freedom. Fear is wicked because it's the lack of faith in him, not the presence of fear, but what we do with it. Brian Bill said, servants need to fear, but sons and daughters of the king have freedom. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with the Lord, but if it's fear-based, and I'm not talking about a reverent fear, like, oh, you know, like you should have a reverent fear of the Lord at all times because he's God and he could go, bink, if he wanted to, right, to you and you would be, binked and you would be no more, but he doesn't do that, right? Like sons and daughters don't need to live in fear. Like my kids, if I'm parenting them correctly, they don't have to live in fear. They have to live in fear of discipline and, you know, there's a healthy reverent fear, but they should know that my daddy will never throw me out. My dad will never do this. My father will never cross this line. My dad will never do this. And some of us don't understand that because we haven't had healthy parenting. And so we put that on our own parents and we put that on God, unfortunately, and it breaks up the whole cycle. But we are not in a spirit of slavery when it comes to fear, when it comes to the Lord. Amen. Many people, I don't know if you remember living before you were following Jesus, but remember that fear you had? I always had a fear of like, okay, this is it. Can you imagine, man, just go backwards for a minute. Imagine these 70 years is all you get. And some of us that are approaching, getting past that, or you're going to live till 80. Some of you live to 112. That's on you. That's not me. Praise God. <laughs> Think about it for a minute. Remember when this was it? What kind of fear did that drudge up? That's, this, is, this is why people live a get my life. This is why people live a life of I got to get mine and get and have more joy and have more stuff and have more things. It's fear-based because I don't want to get to the end of my life and not have enjoyed what I have from zero to 70, 80 plus, whatever it is. It's fear-based. Galatians 5.1 for us though says this, for freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And we're at this little quirk, the hood poet, W.R. Dans, came up with another one. God bless him. Our adoption by the king of heaven should send our fear screaming back to the pits of hell where it belongs. For those of us that live in fear, Why? You must believe, we must believe that Papa God, yes, I said it, Papa, loves us so dearly that you can't even jump out of his hand, that he holds you close to his heart, that whatever happens tomorrow, it may suck. The Bible doesn't say that, and we're going to get to that in a second. Tomorrow might suck. Can I say that in a holy, holy, reverent way? Tomorrow might suck, right? But there isn't a thing that will happen to you tomorrow that you will be alone in. There's not a thing that will happen tomorrow without the sovereignty of God walking and covering and carrying you. There's not a thing that'll happen tomorrow that'll put God in a state of shock and go, uh-oh, like he's, he's over you. 
And whatever the fear-based stuff is, for those of us who live with anxiety, I know there's medical stuff that's way beyond my comprehension. I get so worked up about it because I get so mad at myself. I'm like, ah, 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 there's something that goes on inside of my brain. But I have to continually baptize and knock into my thick skull over and over again. Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. I am the son of the living God. This morning, I'm in the back corner reminding myself before I step up here, I am a son of the living God. And all of the stuff that is flooding my mind right now are lies. And I don't have to walk in the spirit of fear. I am not a slave to fear. I'm a son of the living God. And the Holy Spirit goes with me. And he, he alone will dictate how this, this goes. That's like a daily conversation. That's like a multiple time a day conversation to have with us. The scripture in the other part of that scripture goes on, but you have received the spirit of adoptions of sons. We get through fear. Um, the adoption in the scriptures literally means to place one as a son or being placed in a position and rights as one's own child. It means formally and legally declare that someone who is not one's own child is now to be treated and cared for as one's own child, including complete rights of inheritance um, under Roman law. Uh, a father could disown his biological son. By Roman law. By Roman law, if you had an adopted son, you were not allowed to disown them. Isn't that crazy? In their culture, you could disown a biological kid. You could not disown a, bio a, a, a disowned a adopted kid. And the father, in order to adopt, was responsible to pay all the debts of that kid. And this new member of the family would receive all rights and privileges of sonship. This point. This is it. It's the bigger picture we need to see about our salvation. This isn't just saving, it's literal transformation into the family of God. Amen. Yeah. Jesus stood before damnation and said, Kimmy, she's mine. Right? Nay. I get excited about that. F.F. <laughs> Bruce wrote this. This little quip says, the term adoption may smack somewhat artificially in our ears, but in the first century AD, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was no whit inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary cause of nature and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. Thomas Wilson, another great quote. I just found this, tons of great quotes on this stuff. Adoption is a greater mercy than Adam had in paradise. God, think about it for a minute. Adoption is a greater mercy than Adam had in paradise. Adam was first firstborn, right? He was, he was the one, if you think about it for a minute, and then what happened in Adam's sin, Adam caused separation in his sin between the Lord and him. And, and that, that curse stayed upon Adam all the days of his life, right? Now there's redemptiveness in it, but for us, think about it, greater mercies. We are the sons of Adam, the first Adam. We're also sons of the new Adam, the second Adam who died for us. Not only is it an adoption, it's weird because when we adopt, we adopt from other people. When the Lord adopts, he adopts from his own creation the ones that betrayed him, right? Like we all betrayed him in our sin. We all caused separation between us and the Lord. Our, our bio dad, the Imago Dei that we're created in, the image of God, we broke that relationship. And this father came back in and said, that one is mine on top of. And so we think about it. It's a greater mercy than Adam had in paradise. God has made his children by adoption nearer to himself than the angels, 
the angels are the friends of Christ. Believers are his members. Since God has a son of his own and such a son, how wonderful God's love is adopting us. We need a father. We needed a father, but he did not need sons. And I'll put on there, but he took us anyway. Into that first scripture says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. A cry is what? Let's really get down to the Greek here. It's a cry, right? It's a, it's a high emotion, right? It's high emotion. It's this thing from your pit. And then Abba is just the sweet word of daddy. Now, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things, and it, it goes away, unfortunately, as your kids get older, but I love coming home and hearing, daddy, you know, and as your kids get older, I know there are still 40-year-olds out there that call their dad, daddy, and their mom, mama. That's usually a rule thing, right? I don't know if that's you, praise God, but you know what I mean? But there's something sweet about hearing me. Dad, you can attest to this when you come home. Daddy, I still have one left that still calls me daddy. The rest of them just like dad or bruh, (laughs) right? (laughs) I'm dad or bruh. That's what I am. But to my little one, I'm still daddy. And it just doesn't, it symbolizes the, the, the verbiage symbolizes something sweet and innocent and close that comes between a father. And now we cry out, and I know some people get weirded out by this. I don't know why people who focus more on reverence than they do on anything else, which we should focus on reverence, why they're so offended by sentimental things in the scriptures, like, right? Like, Father, Father God, Brother, all these kind of things. And you think about Daddy, he's like, I don't call him Daddy. It's Daddy. It's Daddy. There's nothing wrong calling him daddy because we have that new relationship in him, a closeness, a daddy that loves to be with his kids, a daddy that loves to adorn his kids with. He's a good gift giver. The scripture says he disciplines us in love. He's a good, he's a good papa. One of these days I'll come home and I won't hear daddy anymore, but hopefully I'll move over to papa and then papa will take over the place of daddy, right? Unless we're having more kids. Probably not, she says. <laughs> now, that's a woman who's been trained by the Lord. You notice she didn't say, heck no. She said, probably not, which meant, God, please, no. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Verse 16 moves on as we just continue to round the corner here. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Um, in Roman, in Roman adoption, there had to be seven witnesses. So how many of us, how many of you have been to an adoption party before or forever day thing at the court, right? And you got to have witnesses and stuff like that. In Roman adoption, you needed to have seven witnesses that would verify that, that this, this adoption was legal. But for us, verse 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. I don't need seven people. I only got me and the Holy Spirit. He bears witness that we are children and the sons of God. First John 5, 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The reason why I put that in there is we can know our sonship. First John 4, 13, by this we know that if we abide in him and him and us because he has given us his spirit. Not only is the Holy Spirit a convicting thing, the Holy Spirit is a stamp of adoption. Amen? Verse 17 goes on and says, as if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Why is suffering in it? 
you know, like I, I've just continued to never understand the prosperity gospel. I just don't get it. It's not scriptural. Listen, when we look in this, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, um, a big part of our identity in Christ is suffering. Let me say this. Don't confuse the presence of suffering for the lack of the presence of Father. You understand what I'm saying? Suffering, we suffer because our daddy suffered. And we, in our inheritance, not only we get the glory in the air, but we also receive the suffering. Jesus said, they hate me. They're going to hate you because they hated me first, right? Uh, to put it in a way. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Brian Bill says, Our present grief prepares us for future glory. In the meantime, we will share in the sufferings of the Savior since Jesus suffered, we should be prepared to suffer ourselves. Suffering doesn't necessarily mean that something is the matter. Rather, it is a mark on of our sonship. Think about that for a minute, what he's saying. He's saying that the suffering is not just a matter of fact and happenstance. It's actually a mark of our sonship. When you suffer, listen to this. When you suffer, it is an identifier of being a son or daughter of the living God. Tell me the last time you ever thought about that. I gotta be honest, I haven't thought about that very often. That when I suffer, I'm suffering because my daddy suffered and I follow in that inheritance. Verse 17, the other half of it says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Psalms 33, 12 said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people, uh, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works through all things according to the counsel of his will. Let me contrast my earthly heritage with my heavenly heritage for a minute. What does your earthly heritage look like? Some of you had good parents that saved up and they give you a nice, I was going to say dow dowry, but that's wrong. Right? <clears throat> I was going to say, not, not dowry. Uh, you know, huh? Inheritance, yeah, nest egg, inheritance, that's good. Uh, let's contrast and compare. Here's what I've been inherited, and I wanna, I've always done a good job at, at honoring my family over the years, but here's what I've inherited. Uh, um, broken marriages, um, alcoholism, inherited a good work ethic, Godlessness, and, I, and I'm just saying this in the Christian, in the Christian, as Christianese as I can, to say that I love my mother and my father, but these are the things that I've inherited that are going to last a long time biologically if I didn't have a new inheritance. What is my inheritance now? Well, listen, he is my inheritance. I'll say it again. What is my inheritance? It's Jesus. We've talked about this before when we get to heaven and we know that the elders lay down their crowns at the feet of Jesus and they're crying out in his holy name. And to me, I can't. I cannot wait to see his face. <coughs> When I grab Jesus, I will be holding on to my inheritance. The king of heaven, my father, the atoning one. 
He is my inheritance. My inheritance is also eternal life. John 10, 28 through 29 says, I give eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's such a key text. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. My inheritance is eternity. 1,042 and a half years from now, we will be in glory with the Lord in our inheritance. Amen. That's still one of my favorite sermon titles or quips. 1,042 years and a half years from now, think about everything. Think about every war. Think about every hardship. Think about everything that's heavy on you today, your financial worries, whatever they are. Where are they 1,042 and a half years from now? Dead. They're gone. All you have is glory. That's our inheritance as sons and daughters and heirs of the king. And we inherit and overcome. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Every war, every snatched, jacked-up situation, every lie, every broken relationship, all of them we overcome because our inheritance now is overcomers in the Lord. Amen? A few things I want to add. Um, For those of you that are adopted, and what I love about this church is... (laughs) There's always, for some reason, starting with your wacky wife back in the day the, uh, with Robin, um, and just uh, over and over and over again, this house became a house of adoption and fostering without trying. And so for those of you that are adopted, though, I know that I've just sat with so many kids that there's this weird ingraining thing, and I think it's the devil, that over and over again, I think the enemy plants these seeds in your head about, well, somebody gave me up, and somebody didn't want me, and somebody didn't do this, and somebody didn't do that, instead of actually focusing on that, I believe that's of the devil. Because if you're sitting in a home where you have a mother and a father who has brought you in and who has loved you deeply and they chose you without condition and and you know that there's no back door, that they'll be there forever, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Got to take our eyes off the whatnot, which I believe, and I I understand it. There's a natural inclination to know where you came from and and that's not bad. What I'm saying is when you live in a woe is me life, when you had somebody chose you, choose you on purpose, you're missing the point. You are beautifully adopted and loved by God and you're beautifully adopted and loved by your mother and father. Amen? Doesn't matter what womb you came out of. This is what I tell Naomi. It's like, She's like, well, daddy, how come? And I'm just like, honey, that is your mama. And because mama and I chose you, it doesn't matter where you came from. It matters where you are. It matters who you belong to. Um, Psalm 68.6 says this. I'll just have a New Living Translation. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in sun-scorched land. I love that end part, isn't it? Uh, I would love to see the heart of adoption continue in this place. Amen? The heart of fostering and adoption continue in this house because that ministry that talks about the widows and the orphans, James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Amen? And by the way, what is evangelism if it's not just sharing our adoption story? Right? 
I'm just toting on this lately a lot. Like, hey, evangelism isn't the, thou shalleth not dieth. You're going to burn in hell, sucker. You need Jesus. He loves you. Right? We, this, this, is, this is why we just got to get past the stigma. And that's been a thing in this house. Is we need to share the gospel. But the gospel is simply, literally telling your adoption story. I was without purpose. I was without hope. I was without a mother or, uh, excuse me, a father who loved me and would come in. And then Jesus came and Jesus said, that one's mine. And now I was hits. And now I belong to him. Now I have a new life. I have a new inheritance. By the way, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with him forever. He is my inheritance. He is my joy. And he is my peace. Go back to our our snippet for today. Boom, whatever you want to call it. Salvation in Jesus is so much more than being saved from hell. Salvation in Jesus transforms our very existence into literal sons and daughters of the living and reigning King of heaven. You are so chosen. Like you're chosen. You're a son and you're a daughter of the living God. You have an inheritance where you've got some of it now, but someday you're going to see the fullness of it. And it trumps every single thing on the face of the earth. Your inheritance and your identity give you purpose Your identity as a son or a daughter gives you security. Your identity as a son or a daughter helps you with the mission of God. It helps you with your relationships, your marriages, and and how you go to high school or how you work your job. Somebody reached down from the heavens in creation and said, that one is mine. And if you're a follower of Christ Jesus today, that's you. Amen?